as we get into this, I want to kind of review kind of what this book is about because we get we got to be very careful on this with this topic. Um, some people get confused on how this is written and what this is meaning. Um, so we got to remember that it, it tells us at the very beginning this was written to Christians that have been spread out in the 12 tribes during the dispersion. Right? So it's written to Christians, people who have been saved already. Um, and so as we read through this passage, especially we have to remember that and how we're treating with people and so far through the entire book, we can kind of see it's how Christians are supposed to be reacting, right? Not how unbelievers are supposed to react. So it's not written to, to the unbelievers in the area, but rather to the believers that are already believing in Christ that have already been saved. Um, to be clear, Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For you are saved through grace by faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so when this is saying faith and works together, this is talking about our salvation, but how it looks to the people around us. That, And we're going to dig more into that, but I don't want you guys to think that I'm saying that you have to have works in order for salvation to occur. No, that's a different time period. That was when Paul was talking to non-Christians that our faith is... Uh, um, we are saved through grace by faith. There's nothing we can do on the salvation end. And so James isn't talking to unbelievers about how to get saved, but rather he's talking to believers and how their faith should interact and should lead them in their lives. Um, and so that can be a very sketchy thing. If, you, if you're not careful when you say that, people might think that you have to do works in order for salvation to occur, when I don't want you guys to think I believe that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's salvation comes from God by God through through His Holy Spirit only. We can't. We don't have the power to save ourselves. No matter what we do, no matter how we act, salvation can only occur through the grace of God. But this is rather talking about how our interactions and how faith is leading us. So one way I like to look at is there's a vertical and a horizontal in our works, right? Vertically, to get with God, we have salvation. There's one way to do it, right? That's through the grace that God saves us. Our faith, through, uh, grace through faith is what saves us. And that's our relationship with God. And once that connection has been made, once we have been saved, nothing changes that. It doesn't matter what works we have, what we do, it doesn't change the fact that we are saved, right? However, what our works then do is our works are the horizontal aspect of our lives. It goes out to the people around us. So our works show our faith in God, and that's what, where the works are important. So our works show others our relationship with God, and therefore we can show, they can then come to God through our works. So hopefully that's clear. I hope. Um, but... And we're going to spend more time digging into it. So, so today's passage is really de- dealing with a dead faith versus a living faith. So that faith we have, that faith that saved us, is it still alive or do we have a dead faith now? It was alive at one point, but did we stop using it and stop working with God? And now that we have, now we have a dead faith is kind of what we're looking at in this passage here. In verse 14 it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? So if I say I have faith and I say I trust in God, 
but I don't have any works that show that, what use is it? It's, it's useless, right? I'm not able to use it for God's glory if I say I have faith. Even if I am saved and I'm not serving God and my works aren't showing that I'm serving God, what does the world see? The world doesn't see a Christian who is serving God. They see a person who is doing nothing. No different than a person who is doing nothing that is not saved. There's no separation from us and that. So our walk and our talk should line up. What we say and what we do should be the same. So if we say we're a Christian, that means more than just a label. That means we are a follower of Christ. And the question then becomes, are we following Christ? Or are we just standing still and doing nothing? If our faith, if our faith in God has saved us, then there should be fruit produced from that. We should be out doing things and we should, people should be coming to know Christ through us as we are now part of that vine. Um, so is there fruit coming out of your life? To say that we're saved by our faith and to live like the world is very contradictory, right? It's very confusing to the world, but we can see that a lot. As I read articles and I read comments from people, they, uh, the biggest gripe people have against Christianity is that we say one thing and we do another. We don't live like the way we talk. Our lives don't reflect the grace that God's given us and that mercy that God's given us. We still live as though we are still part of the world. We still do things that are worldly. We don't stand by what God's word says. <clears throat> if we look in, um, going to start in verse 15 through 17, it says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. So I love that, that picture he presents for us, right? If, if a, a fellow Christian brother or sister comes to you and says, I don't have food to keep warm. I don't have, I mean, clothes to keep warm and I don't have food to eat. And your response is, just go in peace. Stay warm and find some food, right? But that's all we do. What use is it to them? What have we just done for that person? Nothing. Right? We didn't help them anyway. And this is our fellow brother and sister in Christ that we just said, well, go in peace. Have fun. We'll see you later. Would that make us feel good if we're, if we're starving or freezing cold because we don't have clothes and we tell somebody our need and they say, oh, have a good day. Sorry. I'm glad to hear about you. Go on, right? It's useless for them, and our faith doesn't produce anything there because we're failing them. They're coming to us with a need, and we're just saying, well, go on, have fun. Do we, do we really have faith if actions are not produced as a result? Do we really have faith in God if our actions aren't being reproduced in a way like that? If our response is, is just say, go on, have a good day, where is our faith? What are we doing with that? Our action, our, is our actions and our talking going together? The reality is, is that if we're not servants of God and allowing Him to direct our ways, we have to start questioning 
is our faith dead or alive? Doesn't necessarily mean we have to question our salvation. We might want to in that at that point. But we do have to ask whether or not we have a living faith in God that is vibrant and continuing to repeat if we're not serving God in every way, shape, or form, right? If our lives aren't showing a different lifestyle, people make people wonder, what is going on? Why is this person different? Why do they believe a different way than what I believe? And I think of our heroes in faith that we look back at who, who lived by those standards, that lived differently. They, for, they gave up things in life that they could easily have in order that God could provide for them. Or they did something that was just so crazy that you look back and go, why would they even think to do it that way other than trust in God? I think of a, um, I may have told you a story before. There's a lady who was going after somebody for some abuse that happened in her life. And after she fought through the process to get him arrested and getting charged, and after he was found guilty by the courts, she was able to go up in front of the courts and share the gospel with him and tell him that she forgave, she forgives him for what happened. Not because of her own ability to, to do so, but she says, because God forgave me that I can forgive you. He forgave me for the things I did to him, so I am now able to forgive you for what you did to me. And that's, that's her faith being shown out in action when she was able to get up and tell that person that and give true forgiveness to somebody who had hurt her in so many other ways. Um, we see it with stories of Jim Elliott and his wife who, who he died, he was killed by a group of men and his wife chose to go back with her family and their kids to go witness to that same group of people again. That's, that's not ordinary, that's not the normal way of thinking that's only a way God can cause you to think, to think that it's, that it's okay to go back and take the gospel message back to the people who cost you so much. So those are people that are living extraordinarily with their faith. That's true, living, vibrant faith is when you're willing to go do stuff that God calls you to do even though it seems crazy to the entire world around you. And if we look at James chapter 2, verse 18 through 20, it goes on, it says, But someone will say, You have your faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith from my works. You believe that God is one, and you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? So in verses 18 and 19, you have somebody that's wanting to argue with Paul about it and say, You have your faith, I have my works, they can be okay separate. And they say, but even the demons believe in God. But they don't have, they can't be saved, right? But God, Jesus didn't die for the demons. He died for us. And if there's faith without works, nobody knows about that faith, right? If, you, if somebody's saved and they just sit there never saying anything and they never do anything for God, can anybody see the gospel through that person? No. Right? Might as well be a, a stump sitting there, right? Nothing. Not, God's not doing any work through them because they're not allowing it to be done through their works. On the other hand, somebody who does a lot of good things and lives a good life, 
Does that say anything about that person? Right? There are very good people, good people, who are not saved. They do a lot of good things in the world. They give a lot of money to good causes. And they do a lot of stuff. But that doesn't have anything to do with their faith. They're just a good person. You know, in a worldly standard. We can hold those people up to a higher standard because they're good. We don't, but we don't know anything about their faith. It's not until those two things are brought together to have the faith in God and then and to do the good things for God that are brought together that things really start changing the world and that God's glory starts being shown through that person. Um, James here is saying, rather, um, so if we have a living faith, we will be serving the Lord in all we do. And that's, so it's not by having each piece individually, it's having it together that we're serving the Lord in everything that we do, and that is showing our true faith in what we believe in, in God. And I know this can be kind of a crazy idea, thought process sometimes when we're trying to separate this faith and works in light of Ephesians where it says, that works has nothing to do with salvation. So don't, you know, I mean, don't get those two things together and keep them separate. This is a different part of our lifestyle. This is part of our growing in Christ. And we're going to see that here in just a second as we get into verse 21. So in 21 through 25, it says, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see, the faith... The faith was active together in his works, and by works faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled, says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that man is justified by works, and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works, when she received the messengers, and sent them out by a different route? So here we see a testing of, of the faith on Abraham. And so if we look back in the earlier verse that we've been memorizing, right, the testing of our faith produces endurance, right? And so here God is testing Abraham's faith. Abraham's already saved. He has faith already. We know that because we can look back in everything he's done. This is way out. So in, uh, I wrote it down. In, in chapter, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham had already turned his life over to God. He left where he was at because God called him to a new place. He had already showed he had faith in God there. In Genesis 15, God made another covenant with Abraham, saying, reiterating what he had said in, verse, in chapter 12. So God already had this covenant and this, this faith with Abraham and this connection with Abraham early on in Abraham's life. So early on, he was 75 when, he, when, it, when it all happened, right? But he still had another 25, 30 years left before God was done, was finished with him or longer. Right? But at 75, Abraham turned his life over to God and said, use me the way you want to use me. I have faith in you. But it wasn't until chapter 22 that God wanted to test his faith deeper. All right, so let's read that passage here. Genesis chapter 22. And I would only hope that I ever have as much faith as Abraham did in this chapter. 
So it says, starting verse 1, it says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, hear my answer. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Morah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So God, so Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkeys, and took, his, took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over to worship, and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the, and the sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked, to, walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abram, Abraham and said, My father, he replied, here, here I am, my son. Isaac said, the, the, wood, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar and there arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife and slaughtered his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw the ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, offered as a burnt offering, in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the, on the Lord's mountain. So here, we see a lot of faith in Abraham. And the way he interacts with the people around him. And, but we also see that he's willing to obey God to all the way all the way through. Right? When when they ask him when he goes and he sees the place he's supposed to go to, he tells them he's with that we'll me and my boy will go up there and we'll be back. We'll be coming back. When Isaac asks about the, the offering, he says God will provide. Abraham had faith that God's gonna provide everything. Even though he probably didn't want to go do what he was going to do. But he was willing to do as God told him to do in that moment. His works were lining up with his faith that he trusted God in everything that he was supposed to do. Even to the point where he had the knife ready to kill Isaac on that, on that altar. He was willing to obey God to the end. And that's hard for us to think about now, but I think Abraham had faith that God was going to do something miraculous in that moment, not knowing what it was. But he had faith that this wasn't the end for Isaac, but he knew something was going to happen. He had a faith that outlives what we would have in that moment, I think. And he was willing to do what God called him to do, no matter what the cost. This is a testing of his faith, and I think it built some endurance in, uh, in Abraham. I think it changed his life tremendously going through that, that testing that God gave him. But what we can really see here is Abraham already had salvation and justification, but his faith here, the works that he did out of his faith by being obedient and doing what God told him to, as we look in James, it says, 
that you see that faith was active together with his works, and by works his faith was perfected. Right? So it, his faith here didn't save him. That wasn't salvation for Abraham by having the faith in this passage that, that James is talking about, but rather the perfecting of his faith, that, ju- that strengthening of his faith through his works. And now we think about all the different people. Um, when I talk about that horizontal works, what it does, how many people have been able to hear the story of Abraham's faith in this and have been able to come to know Christ through that? Right? So it's to man, the works is shown here. The faith was already built in. The faith was already there. But to man, it shows the works that Abraham had showed his faith to all of us. The second part it talks about there is it says Rahab in the same way she was believing, she believed in God too. So going back to Joshua chapter 2, we can see Rahab's faith. So it says, starting verse 1, says, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, where they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the gate was about to close, the men went out. Now I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of the flax that she had arranged on the roof. And the men pursued them along the road as the fords of the Jordan. As soon as they left to pursue them, the gate was shut. <clears throat> this is where we get to see how where her faith is before before this even comes in. She had faith in what was going on. It says before the men fell asleep, she went to the roof and said to them, "I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Shion and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan." When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above the earth and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them, and save us from death. So she had faith in God before those men showed up. She had heard the stories of what, what they had done and what God had already done walking into the kingdom that they were living in. Before they got to Jericho, she had already heard stories of how God was working miraculously. And she believed beforehand that God was God versus just somebody else. When she said there in, um, what's it? in verse 10, for we have heard, uh, not 10, in verse 11, when we've heard this, we lost heart and everyone's, Courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She had faith in who God was. She knew who the true God was in that moment. 
but it was through her works of saving those men in for the glory of God that her faith really shone. She knew there was something special about them, and she knew that they could save her from death because of her faith in who God is. And so her works didn't change how she thought about God, but it allowed others to see the faith that she had in Him. Her obedience to God is perfected her faith in God. So her obedience helped her perfect it, and it saved others in her family through her faith. So the last verse is uh, verse 26. It says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So this leaves us with some questions as we as we come to the end. Do we have a living faith? Is our faith live is our faith living where others can see it and it's vibrant in the community around us? That we have a true faith. Not just in what we say, but how we interact with people, how we handle situations that come up, how we handle disappointment, how we ha- handle happiness. Does our life show that we have a living faith? Are we living lives that show people around the world and around the community that we have faith in God? Do, to be careful, it's more than just being a good person, right? To just be a good person isn't enough. Uh, there's some people that say that you can be a good person, people will question what's going, question things and come to God that way, but just being a good person isn't really enough if we're not sharing our faith, if we're not speaking of who God is and doing things that are extraordinary and extra life-changing for people. Does what we do, does, it some, does God call us to do something that may seem crazy and we do it and people can see our faith through that? Well, it didn't make sense for, for Abraham to take his son up on the mountain to slaughter him. But God told him to. And that was living extraordinary, right? It didn't make sense for Rahab to turn against her whole community of people in Jericho and hide spies that were coming to fight him. Um, It'd be treasonous today if we did that, right? If we took two spies in from another country that was looking to attack America and we hit them, how would that look to the people around us? It would have to only come from the faith of God that we'd be willing willing to do that. Just being good is not enough for the world around us. We must share the message, share the faith, speak of who God is along with having the good actions. People must see that we are living lives that are different and react different when life situations come to us. You know, I think of some examples in life where I've seen people's reactions that are, are different than what they proclaim to be. At a restaurant, when, when you're waiting for your food and it takes a while, and then it takes a little while longer, and then it keeps taking longer, the next thing you know, you've been waiting there for an hour for something that should have been five minutes. How are you reacting at that time? Right? Are we starting to get upset? Are we, are we getting mad? Or are we just enjoying life and talking with people and loving on the waitress as they come back and say, we're sorry it's taken so long? But I think people, when the waitress comes to apologize, people get mad at them. And that's on a Sunday after church dinner. I've seen that happen. But what kind of witness does that have for that waitress 
who when we come in wearing our church clothes, talking about discussing maybe church, and then we then we start getting angry at her for something that's outside of her control. What kind of works is that showing for that waitress? Does our faith in God show show up in that situation? Or when things are just going down around us, I mean, I come up with a thousand situations, but the real thing is, is when things are going bad, what faith are we showing? Are we showing that faith in God that we love Him and that people around us can see the joy in our lives even though things are going crazy? I have friends down in, in Lake Charles that after the hurricane hit and they lost stuff, their reactions could go a lot of different ways in that moment. And I, as I read stuff they put, they put their faith back in God. They talk about how much God's blessed them, even with the loss of their house. They still realize there's blessings in their lives. And they can speak of that, and they can share the message through, through that situation. They can give of themselves to their community, even though they have their own things they're worrying about. They still, they, their faith still shines above other things in the midst of all that. Do we have that faith that's living that others can see us? Or if we just kind of let that fire die out in our lives and now we, we have faith, but we just kind of sit there and we don't use it and we don't share it and we don't let God work through it. So as, so as musicians come up and we'll we must remember that, that our faith needs to line up with our lives. Our faith needs to show up through our actions, through our speech, through our, through our doings. That they're not separate. What we do and who we are are not different. The job God gave us to do, he gave it to us for a reason. We're supposed to show our faith through that job. It doesn't matter what we do, where God's put it's at. Our faith should shine through that job and doing the best that we can do and, and being above, above board on everything, but also sharing his message as we go to work. So the last thing is to have a living faith. We are serving God with our works and not just our speech. Have a living faith as you go out this week. Ask God to reignite that fire inside you. That's a, that you'll have a living faith when you're working with people and talking with people and sharing with people. That it's not just a dead faith, but a living faith that is shining through. And as we're praying on Wednesdays, I'm hoping that we can pray that our faith here in the community, this church, our living faith will be re-shown to the community and they'll know that we love them and that we care for them because we're doing things that are not normal for normal people to do, but extraordinary things that only God can do. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for allowing us to come together today, Father, just to worship you. Father, I pray that you will just, just revive our faith, Father, that we can truly serve you, truly honor you in everything that we do. Father, that we won't just be about living for ourselves, Father, but rather living for you. That your glory will shine and, and people will just see amazing things coming from you in our lives, Father, that as we obey you. Father, call us out to do things that are extraordinary. Call us to do things that the world thinks is crazy so that we can obey you and that not that we'll get praised, Father, but that you will get glory, Father. We just praise you and we love you. In your heavenly name, amen.